You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my podcast partner, Lisa Snare. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hey, today we wanted to have a candid conversation with a friend and a client about how do we effectively roll out, adopt, reinforce, and drive transformational results with a sales methodology. Now, let's face it, folks. We've all been there. We've been through some training program. It's got starts out with all this hope. But then as you kind of roll it out, sometimes it fizzles out. So we wanted to ask a good friend and a good client of mine to come on in and give us some of his insights. What worked, what didn't work, and some lessons learned. So to help us out with this topic today, we have Dale Knipp, sales and business development professional with over 20 years experience. He was most recently the head of sales in North America for Hitachi Vantera. He also rolled out the value selling methodology successfully within his teams and knows firsthand, as Carlos mentioned, what it takes to see a methodology truly adopted to drive results. Dale, thank you so much for taking the time today and welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Carlos. Glad to be here. All right, buddy. Here we go. So same question we start every podcast with because we they want to know their who they're listening to right now is what's something that you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to know about you? Yeah, that's I love that icebreaker question, Carlos. Thanks for asking that one. I think what I would say for people at work that don't know me personally is that I'm a bourbon enthusiast. And I really got into bourbon. I uh, did a bourbon trail trip in 2019 for a friend's 40th birthday. Just love learning about the process, how the flavor profiles are developed and what makes it good and bad based on your palate. And after that, I became a bourbon steward. And so I took a course and took a test and I've got a lapel pin to prove it that I'm an official bourbon steward. So I would say what my work colleagues may not know about me is that I have a pretty good bourbon collection at home. I can vouch for it. It was pretty good, at least what I remember. Folks, uh, Dale and I first met while we were rolling out value selling at Comcast. And Dale, I think it'd be great for the listeners. Tell us a little bit about your story, right? How'd you get to this great point of success in your career? Yeah. So the first half of my career, I was all in services on the delivery side, managing large programs, mostly in IT consulting and primarily in comms and tech. And then I had an opportunity to move into account management and kind of be a player coach, manage a project. We had one project to this one account and then become the account manager and try to grow the business. And so that's where I entered into the sales world. And so just had a great opportunity to do that. I had a boss that trusted me and let me put together a plan and then go execute it with obviously his full support. But we grew up from less than a million dollars to over $50 million in five years. So it was a great run. And then I moved into a software company, you know, had a good experience there managing some large renewals in large accounts, and then had an opportunity to work at Comcast and sell some of their SaaS platforms uh, to other cable companies, which was just a remarkable experience. And then lastly, at Vantara. And through that experience, just I have had a lot of fortune and just been super blessed. Lead teams, design sales strategies, get smarter, make a lot of mistakes along the way, and get me to be on this podcast here. So 
I hope this isn't my career climax right now, but <laughs> if it is, I'll be grateful for it. <laughs> well, and hopefully one of those mistakes you made along the way was not choosing value selling. So given the fact that you have implemented it multiple times, I guess like starting from the beginning, why did you choose value selling? Yeah, for me, it was easy. And before I joined Hitachi, I actually called Carlos and I was getting some coaching from him on here's what I think the situation is. Based on that, like we started talking about here's where I think value selling can really have an impact and most importantly, help me be successful day one. And so the reason I chose it partially was I've seen it in action. I think it's a great methodology. I think it works. And for my last situation at Hitachi Vantara, it was simple. I needed it to scale. And I wanted something as we created the culture on my team that was going to be centered on bringing value to the customer. And so those were really the reasons that I wanted to implement it because I knew it worked, simple, we could scale it quick. And I was super confident that it was going to make a difference to our business. That's amazing. So would you say that value selling delivered the results you expected? And do you have any examples you're able to share like record-breaking quarters or bookings or average order size going up or something like that? Yeah, I'd say all of the above. We were in a transformational period when I started at Hitachi. And so having this as our baseline for how we were looking at deals and using common nomenclature for how we engage, getting I inherited four different teams that came into one. And so there was four different ways of doing it before. This was kind of became our culture and our bedrock for how we talk about deals and how we were managing and qualifying through the sales process. So that was super valuable for us as a team. And then some of the benefits that we saw were within two quarters of implementing it, we had our best bookings quarter in years. And we tried to go back as far as we can to see if it was the best ever. Uh, we could Our data only went back so far. And so I can say that we had our best quarter, bookings quarter ever, at least as far as the data went. And then our deal cycle shortened right, from using value selling. And so I think that was another thing that we saw is we were able to qualify quicker. We were able to get to, is this thing real or not? Is there value for the customer? And if not, let's move on. Or if so, use value selling and the value prompter specifically to help guide our next steps to get to the end faster. And so I found it to be tremendously valuable, especially as we were transforming to be kind of the core of how we operated and then helping us deliver value as a result. Awesome deal. Well, any project that you take off on never goes as smoothly as planned. So here's my next question for you, which is basically any outcomes that were unexpected. And just to give you a little background on why I'm asking, we had a client that was able to double their deal size in their first 12 months. Unfortunately, they also noticed that their average sales cycle times had increased by 10 days. And sometimes you go, hey, which one do you prefer, right? 10 more days to close a deal, but it's twice as large. And sometimes there's just unexpected outcomes. Did you have any of those in your experience? We actually did. When you go into something like value selling and you implement it, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, super hopeful, high expectations. Everyone has aspirations to climb the mountain. Well, we implemented this in April of 21. We had, just to talk round numbers, a $500 million plus pipeline. In July, our pipeline was less than $150 million. And it was emotionally tormenting <laughs> for me. One of my low points of my career, like, how are we going to do this as a team? But what 
it was unexpected, right? I was expecting like, hey, we're going to grow. We're going to get a great pipeline. We're going to drive it further. But the unexpected nature of dropping the pipeline was a shock. But at the same time, it's exactly what should have happened. We didn't have a process model before. We weren't qualifying deals in a standard way across the business, at least the group I was managing. And so when we implemented this, it helped us think through, are these deals real or not? We started to use the value prompter as our filter. We started to ask very specific questions about, hey, do we know the business problem? Hey, do we know what the value is to the customer, either from a business perspective or personal? Are we talking to everybody, relationship? And then most importantly, do we have a close plan? And not a close plan for the deal, but a mutual plan to get to value for the customer. And so we started asking these questions and sure enough, we started to uncover a lot of holes in deals. Hey, a lot of deals that were happy years and people thought the customer was you know, excited about it and it was real, but it really wasn't. And so what we did was basically get to our bottom really quick. And once we got to the bottom, we knew what was real. Then we could forecast better. We could set expectations for leadership better. And we knew what we had and what we didn't have. And then we knew who was performing, who was not performing. And so what it, while challenging at the time, it put us in a position where we can make better leadership decisions and better business decisions about how we go forward. And so that was end of start of Q2 for us. And then in Q3, that's when we had our best quarter ever, because from that point, we started to look at deals through the value selling lens, started to qualify better and started to get to value to the customer more quickly. And it helped us rebuild our pipeline. And then from that next quarter, close more deals quicker. So scary time, uh, super unexpected, but I look back on it and I'm glad that happened because we wouldn't probably have made some of the decisions we made in Q2 to help us see success in Q3 and beyond. And that's always what we coach people on it, Carlos, is like once you start to implement this and be really strict about the definitions of business issue and value and plan and all the things that are part of our opportunity assessment tool, if you're strict about it, that scary moment happens and everybody freaks out a little bit. But exactly to your point, Dale, of what you saw is that then you know what's real. And it's not like everything is eliminated from the pipeline. It's just set into the proper stage. And you know, you run the gap analysis and you understand what do I need to go back and figure out in order for this to be properly assigned to the the stage it should be. The other thing is like the scariest thing you can be in, position you can be in as a sales leader is to not know what deals are coming in. When you go to your CEO, when you go in front of whoever you're reporting to, and you can't articulate is this thing real or not? And why? That's like, you start to lose credibility internally, you start to lose confidence, and no one wants to be in that situation. So I found it to be very empowering to be able to say with confidence, hey, based on our methodology, based on the six areas that we focus on knowing, is this thing real or not? This is real, this is not. And so it was super helpful to be in that position, because prior to that, it was kind of like trying to figure out what was going on, what was real, what was not. And pretty uncomfortable situation to be in. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You've got to be held accountable. And this helps you to be much more confident in that conversation. Amazing. And so you mentioned a couple of challenges, but we know that there's always challenges when going through true transformation with great change comes great opportunity, but also comes some storming, forming, norming, all of those things. So when you're trying to change some of those and reinforce the behaviors you really want to reinforce, it becomes even more difficult. People push back. There could be mindsets that you have to change. What are some of the lessons that you learned that made it a success for you ultimately in the end? 
Yeah, I think so. We had a small leadership team on my team. We had 25 sellers at the beginning. We had two sales leaders in addition to myself. And one of the things we said was, we are going to be different about using value prompters. Like every deal review, we wanted to incorporate it. Our, we call it our top five that we would have our sellers send every other week. And it was kind of a summary of the deal and then a value prompter, just two slides, tried to keep it lightweight. And so we tried to incorporate as much as we could into our daily processes. We put it into our CRM and then we uh, tried to do a lot of positive reinforcement. And so if someone was doing a really good job or they, especially if they qualified out a deal, I would want them to present it to the team, right? Because we, our mantra was 1% better every day. And then time is your most valuable resource. And so if we could show that, hey, look, he spent six months on this this POC, whatever it is, and then we went, did the value prompter and leveraged that selling. And you know what? We disqualified it because we we're able to ask better questions, get in front of the customer and be much more targeted about, are we taking this forward or not? And so we saved him time. And so I love showing those examples. So on my team meeting every Monday we would try to have some kind of value selling story. And it could be a disqualification. It could be how we got there faster. Carlos was a great partner for us because he would come on and do some refreshers. And then another thing that we, and I think this is a great best practice, is peer reviews. And so it doesn't have to be me, the boss looking at it or the sales manager. But if you go and just show someone your value prompter and just say, hey, do you think this thing's real? Let me walk you through this. You can do it in five or 10 minutes. And either one, get better questions to ask, see holes that you don't see in your deal. And then you start to get a deal strategy from other people that are in a similar situation. So kind of creates this camaraderie across the team. We called it, and I have to give Neil Kolstad credit for this. We called it our deal nutrition. And so every Thursday afternoon, he had an open forum. And anyone that wants to come on and get some deal nutrition, they could come and get that from him and the team. So those are some of the things that we did that I thought were helpful. That's amazing. I love the peer review idea too. And when we talk about reinforcing those behaviors, like we've got a saying that expect what you inspect. So if you're not inspecting it regularly for those value prompters and adding that layer of peer review and deal nutrition, which I love, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> deal vitamin packs. <laughs> <laughs> were you also, I'm just curious, were you also tying some of that those requirements to your sales stages? Like if you want to move something from this stage to this stage, was exit criteria based on some of the value selling deliverables? We didn't get to that point, unfortunately. We got it in the CRM. So that was a big plus. And one of the things you asked about some of the challenges, some of the people thought, hey, you're making me create these slides and that's a lot of overhead. Can I just use a CRM? And so like, depending on the person, we're like, hey, as long as you're using the model, as you go through a deal, whether you're pulling it out of the, putting in the CRM and just using that so you don't have to do it more than once, great. But if executives need something different, just know that we may have to present it in a different way. So there may be some overhead, but we tried to keep the overhead as light as possible. And again, I think that's one of the things about value selling that I like is that it, it is so simple. I always say it's one slide and you can qualify your deal and know if it's real in five minutes or less. So yeah, I was the, and still am, the typical lazy sales rep. So if I'm going to create something just for my manager and not see any value out of it, it's going to fizzle out. I'm going to find a way out of it sooner or later. And I assume that some of our reps are just like that. So one of the things I try to tell them is, as you ask your questions to better qualify and do proper discovery of the deal, and you document, take some notes some way, somehow, 
review those and create your mutual success plans back to your customer, your prospect first. Then all you got to do is copy and paste it back (laughs) to your CRM. And if you don't have time, hey, ask for forgiveness and show your mutual success plan because you're less likely to lie to your customers and more likely to make something up for your managers. <laughs> so it just is a little trade-off for folks as a lesson learned along the way from a lazy salesperson that somehow, some way found some success. Hey, Dale, I got another... Just thinking about lessons learned, here's something I've seen along the way, and I love your perspective. Whether it's a SaaS company, a services company, the reality is everybody's trying to become more efficient with the people that they have and scale the business. And one of the things I've learned is That means that it's not just a selling terminology or it's not just a sales program. You really need this to be cross-functional across the team to truly have alignment. So, And what I mean by that is, hey, if you think about marketing, setting up their messaging and some of the content that they create, pre-sales and how they present and what they present, after sales, what about services and customer success? It's hard to go back to a customer 12 months later telling them, hey, look at the great results we had where no one ever documented how much time and effort it was taking them before they even purchased from us. So from your perspective, how did that work for you guys? Were you able to get more people involved or what's your lesson learned in that area? Yeah, so my lesson learned is that that is so important, right? Having all of the teams that are involved in go-to-market, pre-sales, marketing, product, even delivery, right? Those people that are working with customers and a part of the sales cycle at one point or another should all be involved in value selling. It helps to get everyone clearer on is the deal real or not. It helps everyone, not just the salespeople, but the entire organization ask better questions about the deal and challenge each other respectfully. And so I think that it is critical that if you're going to implement value selling or anything else, that you get all of those teams involved, aligned, and on board, that this is how we're going to operate in the market. It just makes for less friction across the organization. And in my opinion, I think you're going to get a lot more value, a lot in a much more accelerated basis if you get the whole organization moving in the same direction. Now, what I'll say is, I don't know that we did a very good job of that. (laughs) When we implemented it, we had... Some of our go-to-market leaders pretty involved, but not all of them. We invited marketing, but we didn't invite them to be a part of the planning process. Pre-sales was invited, but did they all show up and were they bought in? Probably not, right? And so it showed up after the fact, right? When And what I noticed is as we were going through deal cycles, uh, depending on the organization, those verticals that were involved in it, they got it. They were aligned and helpful. The verticals that didn't, there was a clear gap in how we were talking about the deal and how maybe they were thinking about it and trying to qualify it. And so it definitely created some gaps in terms of how we operationalized it because we didn't have all of the teams included up front. If you think about it, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, there's a ton of models out there, but I think of BDO Digital has this D3 methodology that talks about customer journeys. And it talks about how are you segmenting customers and where are you doing it and what's your campaign and how are you lining that up, developing content, like a challenger model. What is the content that you're going to hook them with? What makes you different? What are those insights you bring? And then value selling, how does that then you drive it forward? And so as you think about any of those models, and then there's, again, a ton more, you should have all of those teams involved. 
And so one of my biggest lessons learned over the last 18 months was it's not just about the sales team. It's about the ecosystem that you need to be successful in the marketplace. And getting buy-in and alignment from all of those organizations is a critical requirement. And so that's, I wish I would have known that up front and spent more time getting that alignment, but we were still successful and I'd still, I'm a true believer in value selling nonetheless. So now it'll just be better the next time I do it. You can't be too hard on yourself. It's hard to get other functional groups that don't report to you to want to roll up your sleeves and get involved. The only statement I make for folks out there listening in, if you're a sales leader, CEO, CRO, head of marketing, hey, the more you can get these other functions to understand what you need to be successful and what you're willing to provide for others to be successful, I think it creates a much better culture in an organization. So like... I want pre-sales to be beating up sales reps on, hey, we need this type of information to have better presentations that win. I want customer success teams to be beating up sales and going, hey, congratulations on the wins. Here's the data I need to now take it over and provide the level of service you want. I want marketing going, hey, I'd love to turn that into a story. What happened? Right? Why'd we win? Why'd they pick us? <laughs> yeah, just two things that you said. One is, you can't be in every deal as a leader, right? And when you've got the organization in every deal and they're asking the right questions, man, like your win rate's gonna go up. You're just gonna have better insights and you're gonna, everyone's challenging each other to get the deal done faster and in a more qualified way. It's just, there's tons of value in that. The other thing is value. And again, why value selling, I think is so differentiating is because that's the whole focus. And then to your point, when you hand it over to, a customer success organization after the deal closes, they should know here was the business value that we built this business case on. Here was the personal value and why it's important to this customer or this set of customers. And then, man, the CS organization should be taking that and building their next year or two, however long the service cycle is until the renewal and improving upon that, right? So that your renewals come with a lot less friction and a lot easier and hopefully more upside. So Dale, any other stories based on your experience you could share with us? I sometimes feel like people's eyes, they understand better when you, we talk about real stories. And it's funny, it's not the stories like, yeah, I did it, we won, we were awesome. It's the stories where things go sideways. Yeah, there's one, I still laugh about this and I still make fun of my account exec that did this at the time, but we were reviewing a value prompter. He had a deal that was a lock and he was talking to the CIO best friends, like, hey, we talk all the time. He's just going to get the budget next week. And we were looking through it. And I was just asking him some questions about, hey, so what is he getting out of this? Who I see that only his name is in the relationship area. Like, who else are you talking to? And he was like, no one. He's a CIO. He's the decision maker. He's got the budget. He's the guy. And I'm like, so procurement's not involved. There's no business impact. Like, who else are you talking to? And he was like, I don't need to talk to anyone else. And he really pushed back on me hard. And I said, listen, I don't know that this is qualified. And he was like, he's going to the board meeting next Tuesday. I'm getting a signature and this deal is going to be closed. And I said, I hope you're right, but I don't think you're right. And I said, let's see what happens. And so sure enough, CIO goes to the board meeting. One of the business stakeholders has a higher priority item that my sales rep didn't know about and that trumped this CIO's request because the CIO's request was painted as a kind of an internal technical debt reduction requirement versus the business guy had a revenue generating requirement that he wanted to get done and that got the priority. 
And so my rep came, comes back, hat in hands, apologizing. And uh, it was one of those deals where our Q2, we were expecting it to come in and it didn't. So it really hurt my feelings and uh, hurt his pocketbook as well. But it was one of those lessons where that's why you do value selling. That's why you do these things so that when you ask those questions, it should be your guide for, you know what? I think it's good. I feel really confident about it. There's still some gaps. So let me at least go try to close the gaps. You may not be able to always close them, but if you can try and maybe get a little bit more information, you'll be better off at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that a lot of the time, uh, that confidence, that gut is instinct is, you know, a lot of people rely on that. We've heard a lot about that. We actually talked a little bit about that when it came to forecasting on a couple of our podcasts we've recorded recently. And one of the things is like, I understand wanting to go on your gut, but so many people get that happy years moment. This is really cutting through the feeling, cutting through the storytelling to like the heart of if you check the boxes, you're in a better shape than you would be if you don't. And I always talk about it in terms of the gap analysis. Like it's okay to not know, just go find out, right? It's in those deal reviews. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's actually, that makes me much more confident in you as a sales rep. If you tell me you don't know and that you're going to craft a compelling question that's going to get you the answer so that you can fill in that box to get that next step closer to that qualified opportunity, right? Yeah, the clarity of next steps is all about, I don't know this, and this is what I need to go get. You're not going, maybe you will validate if you have an opportunity what you know, but it's more important to go get what you don't know. You talked about change earlier, Carlos. Like This is one of those situations where I'm like, do I really press him and say, go do this, right? And be a little bit of a dictator. I don't like to do that. And so sometimes you got to let them fall out of the nest and see if they fight or not. And then they have to learn the hard way sometimes. Yeah, I bet that rep adopted it the next time. (laughs) We talked about it every single deal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a hard lesson learned, but it'd be one that sticks. So you talked about that. That story is a great story around like kind of the pushback. Now, what are some examples of ways, Dale, that you actually rewarded the best practices? Like when people were going that extra step and really adopting, were there some ways in particular that you rewarded those behaviors? Yeah, I think the one thing that we really tried to do was give people lots of credit. And where when good things were happening, we tried to highlight them on our team call. I would write an email and say, hey, send it to senior leadership and say, this person did A, B, and C. Great job. Like They were rewarded financially just from our comp plans and whatnot. But we tried to give some spot awards, a lot of recognition, a lot of credit, and tried to give them an opportunity to showcase their skills. And so every chance that if someone was open to it and willing to do it, I would love to have them walk through their deals, walk through their value prompter. Here's what I did. Here's why I'm a pro. Just kind of help educate and elevate the team. And so I think that was something that was valuable to them. Of course, they would have taken more money if we would. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Let me hit you over the head with this check. (laughs) Everyone wants that. But I think that as we were building our team culture, And as we were building, you know, trying to drive more camaraderie and really encouraging people, hey, he just presented or she just presented, go reach out to them. Like, go find out how they did this. There's a lot more to the story and try to use it as a way to give people a sense that they really were contributing and had a meaningful part of helping to establish and grow our team. Yeah, let me give you a compliment. And I think he has created a really nice, encouraging sales culture. An example of that is, the deal nutrition, which we all laugh at, but just the way it's phrased, it's like, hey, this is here to help me. 
versus let me kick you in the teeth tomorrow morning if you don't have all the answers. Because that's how it feels for some folks. And this might sound a little generational, I guess. Hey, look, the older generation getting kicked in the teeth was just a Tuesday. I think in the younger generations, not that they can't take it. I just think they go, hey, look, that's not necessary. It does not motivate me to get kicked in the teeth. So I think it's a nice way you guys set it up and you guys sent a really encouraging culture. All right, kind of wrapping this up a little bit. And this biggest mistake question does not have to be value selling, by the way. I hope not. But it's always kind of, I think, I just made a post of this this past week on LinkedIn as well. And it's like our failure leads to success. In other words, some of our biggest mistakes and missteps are sometimes our biggest lessons learned that ultimately get us to success. Do you have any of those, Dale, that you'd love to share with us that we can learn from your own experience? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to talk about. (laughs) So there's no shortage of topics there. But one of the things I would say is be humble. And you have some success. You do some things right. A lot of the times, it's right time, right place. And I was lucky. But you think it's all you, right? One of the things that I've recently started to do that has really like opened my eyes is, and I wish I would have done this earlier. So this is a mistake. I I don't know if I call it a mistake, but I didn't know what I didn't know maybe, but I wish I would have followed some of the sales gurus that are out there. And I read books and I try to get smarter and certainly the people you're working with, you try to learn from, but there is such an ocean of fantastic, smarter than me, sold bigger deals than me, have things that I can learn of out there on LinkedIn. And one of the things I've started to do is just I've, anyone that puts anything remotely interesting out there, I follow. And then what I've noticed is, and I'll call out Jen Allen, she was a challenger most recently and on to new things, but she's someone I discovered and I'm like, oh my God, this lady is like a badass. Like she has so much information, so much insight. And so I got sucked into her podcast and then just started following her on LinkedIn. And then I'm like, oh, she follows this person. And I'm like, what are they writing about? And so I started to, like just expand my network, at least in terms of who I'm following on LinkedIn, focus on sales and customer success and go-to-market strategies, sales strategies. And I have found that I've learned probably more in the last six months than I have in the last six years, just by trying to follow people that I think are smart and, and that can teach us all something. And so I wish I would have done that 10 years ago just didn't know. And if I had, I don't know where I'd be today. But that's one thing I wish if I'm my younger version of me, I would say do more of this to continue to invest in your learning, invest in your growth and expanding your network because it's nothing but positivity. It's extremely good advice, Dale. Now we need to change direction a little bit because we ask every guest at the end of our show the same two questions. And the first being, you were a revenue executive yourself for a number of years and still are probably a target for prospecting yourself. So we always ask, if you receive a message, a call, an in-mail, an email, a voicemail from someone who does not have a referral or any kind of connection to you, so purely cold outreach, what about that message would earn your attention and might even get you to respond? I think there's three things that I will get bombarded like everyone else. If it's super creative, I've responded. If it makes me laugh or if it's really bad, because I've actually Great. replied back. And I'll reply back to these people, even if I, I'm not their customer, but I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. And I'll like <laughs> share, share it with my team or share it with someone that I know could get some value out of it. Or I'll try to connect them with someone. I'm not your person go follow up with this person. I'll make a connection if it's meaningful. 
But then if it's bad, I've actually had done this before when I've met someone in person and I sat her down and we talked and I'm like, hey, listen, you reached out to me. Here's what I saw. And I asked her before, I'm like, hey, I'm willing to have a coffee with you and give you some feedback if you're open to it, right? So butter coffee, we sat down and I said, hey, did you know me? You didn't say anything about me. It was all about you. Like, hey, if you want to engage people, like here's how you should think about doing that because you'll get more feedback, right? Positive feedback and it'll be more relevant to them. Even if you don't close a deal or whatever, you'll be able to build that network, right? And because you're always focused on helping people. And so if it's really bad, like I'll reach out and say, hey man, you got a few minutes. <laughs> Wait for the deluge of bad messages now, Dale, after this episode. <laughs> I told him he's way too nice. I think I just delete 99% of them. It's got to be really bad. It's got to be really bad. <laughs> All right. Here's our closer. We call it Acceleration Insights. What might be that one little piece of advice you would want to share with our listeners that are like yourself that might help them in achieving their own goals and targets? It's a little aligned to the follow as many people as you can, but learn as much as you can, right? There's things are always changing. It sounds maybe a little weird, but get a technical certification if you're in a certain spot. Like I I got an AWS business certificate. I got an Azure fundamentals certificate. And I'm never going to be running cloud operations for anyone, but just that you challenge yourself to learn in the space that you're working in, not just in your product, because obviously you have to be a product or service expert, but broadly. So that context is helpful. I think that's one. And then I think that this is just not just a sales or marketing or account management thing. It's just a human thing, but help everyone you can along the way. Don't expect anything in return. Just it, we're all privileged in the roles we have, the networks and people that we touch and the impact that we can have. And if you just do your best, be helpful. I think that's probably the most meaningful thing you can do. Perfect. So Dale, if a listener was involved or interested in involving you in a speaking event, or even just uh, speaking to you more about the topics we covered today, what's your preferred method of communication? So they can reach out on email or my phone. Do you want me to give that now or you're going to put it in? Totally. You may want to go with LinkedIn. LinkedIn also, that's a good one too. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay, there's a little hook for you, folks. Ask about the mountain lion story. Perfect. Amazing, Dale. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show today. We understand how valuable it is. And thank you. Thank you for giving us that time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. That's it for today's episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, family, coworkers, kids, dogs, cats, get them off screens for a little while. And if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.